lately on the podcast, we've covered a lot of ground on work-related questions, advice for Christians who work Sunday mornings, how to avoid idolizing a career, things like that. Today's question is about workplace competence. If I consistently fail at work, is God calling me to quit? It's a good, honest question from a young woman stuck inside a vocational dilemma. Dear Pastor John, thank you for this podcast. I'm simply not good at my job. That's the truth of it. I've met with my bosses to figure out what to improve. I have implemented those things. Nothing seems to work. I'm a teacher, and my students' academic success is being affected. I'm tempted to resign for their sake. However, I did feel like the Lord called me here. Now I wonder if I heard wrong. Can you give me advice? What role does success play in discerning my vocational calling? Let's begin with two biblical guidelines about our sense of calling in life, and then a couple of illustrations from my own life and, and maybe even my wife, Noel, that might be helpful. First guideline, the subjective sense of our calling should be confirmed by our objective fitness for the calling. That's the guideline. Or here's another way to put it, perhaps. Our personal sense of calling should be informed by objective criteria that might include biblical truth or might include personal competencies or both. We see the guidelines when we turn to the New Testament and consider the calling, for example, to eldership or pastoring in the church. I think it's going to apply in general, and so I'm I'm drawing out a guideline from what the New Testament says, what Paul says about the qualification or the calling of an elder in 1 Timothy 3. He says this, if anyone aspires Now, there's a subjective experience that a man is having. If Mm -hmm. anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder or pastor, he desires, and there's another subjective expression, he desires a noble task. So, there's this aspiration, there's this desire. He senses that this would be a gratifying, fruitful way to spend my life. And then Paul adds this. Therefore, an overseer must be, and then he gives 15 measurable qualifications. And you kind of say, whoa, I thought his desire and his aspiration is, is the key thing. And, and, and of course, it is key. Nobody's going to be an elder if he doesn't have the God-given passion for it. And one of those 15 qualifications is able to teach. So I think this would mean that if time and experience prove that a man's teaching ministry is unhelpful or even harmful, and I don't mean to communicate you need to be a great teacher to be a good pastor, just competent, just competent, helpful. People get help when you open the Bible. It would probably mean, like if he proved to be unhelpful or harmful, it would probably mean that either a mistake was made in discerning his calling, and he should seek another kind of ministry, or maybe he just lost his ability. That does happen. A man can lose capacities that he had 50 years ago, and he might no longer be apt to teach and therefore no longer qualified to be an elder. So the first guideline is this. In general, the subjective sense of our calling from God should be informed 
confirmed by the objective fitness for the calling. Here's the second guideline for our sense of calling. God intends each of his children, and I would say each of his creatures, even unbelievers, in general to be good at some things and not good at other things. <laughs> he intends every human being to be good at some things and not good at other things so that they fit together. Now, I'm thinking about the Christians now. They, they fit together like a diverse body, body parts, not like links in a chain. Links in a chain are all the same. And the chain works precisely because each link does the same thing. Hmm. It holds. The link doesn't hold like all the other links are holding. The, the, the whole chain doesn't, doesn't yeah. work. Paul's picture of the church, and I think it's a good guideline for life in general, is this. The body does not consist of one member but of many. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So an ear is not good at being an eye. An eye is not good at being an ear. So, to be not good at something is not a condemnation. Goodness gracious, how many things I'm not good at. I would just die if I had to feel bad about all those. It's not even a loss, Paul says. If, if you find what you are made for and you know how you fit in the world, this is just a glorious plus, even if you can't do many other things. It, it does require some humility. Because you can ruin your life with envy of others' competencies. A finger can make his life totally miserable by wishing every day he were an elbow. Mm. And I've had to work hard because there are certain things that as a, a scholar I'm supposed to be better at, supposedly, and I've just had to preach to myself over the years, Piper, you're never going to be like this, so get over it. You have to just do what you can do and stop trying to be an elbow. So I would say these two guidelines suggest that if we find ourselves in a position that does not fit with our competencies, and it becomes evident to others that our efforts are not effective in accomplishing the goals of the position, then God is probably leading us to another kind of work. So let me give two illustrations from, from my life and, and Noel's life uh, together that might be encouraging. I hope they are. I hope that it won't be too disconcerting that a job change might be fitting. In the spring of 1966, finishing my sophomore year in college, I was overwhelmed with a sweet confidence that finally God had made it plain that I should pursue a pre-med course and aim at the vocation of medical doctor. Ah, oh, what a relief it was to finally know after two years in college of just being a lit major and not knowing what I was going to do. Uh, so much so that I changed my summer plans, took chemistry to catch up with the pre-med sequence, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> as you know, things did not go the way I planned. Right. I, I, I did not like chemistry, and that is an understatement. <laughs> and at the end of that summer, I got mononucleosis, spent three weeks in the health center, and during that time, I heard a kind of preaching on the radio that lit a fire in me for biblical studies and teaching and preaching and writing that to this day, 53 years later, has never died. Mm. I'm as thrilled about being a Bible guy today as I was when I was 20 20 years old in in that health center and so excited. So I would say I misread God's calling in the spring of 66. I heard truly God's call in the fall of 66 because experience has validated that sense of hearing and call. And if you were to ask me, so here's a little here's a little lesson in Providence. If you were to ask me today why God would permit such a detour, such a misreading of his will for my life, my answer would probably be so that I would meet Noel Henry <laughs> in the summer of 1966 while taking chemistry and marry the woman who was the perfect fit for my calling as a Bible guy all these years. I met her on my detour. I would not have met Noel had I gone straight to the ministry in May of 66 instead of September of 66. I love the providence of God. <laughs> so one more, one more story that this may be very, very helpful to our, our, the one who wrote in. A few months into our marriage in 1968 in Pasadena, California, Noel had taken a job at Caltech, big, high-powered educational institution, where the expectations had not been made clear to her or me. She was drowning in duties for which she had not been prepared. So I came home one afternoon and found her sitting on the side of the bed crying. And I was shocked and scared. And I said, what happened? And through her tears, she said, I've been fired. Hmm. That was a really low point in our little brand new, what, two-month-old marriage. Hmm. Within a month, she had found a new job. And three years later, when we were leaving Pasadena, Uh, For grad school, she was so loved, so needed, so admired in that job that they didn't want to let us go. So all of that to say, we can seriously misread our sense of calling, and we can find ourselves in jobs for which we are not suited, and to adjust our sense of calling and to find a new job is nothing to be ashamed of of if we are humble enough to admit that we're fallible and that we're not omnicompetent. Yeah, amen. And God has a plan for us even inside the detours. Amen. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's good. Thank you, Pastor John, for that counsel and for those personal stories as well. And wherever you're listening in the midst of your day, maybe on the way to work or from work, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to Ask Pastor John in your favorite podcast app in YouTube or in Spotify. For our episode archive or to submit a question of your own, go to desiringgod.org forward slash askpastorjohn. Well, what is the deepest longing of the human heart? What's your deepest longing? What's the thing you want most? What craving is behind all the other desires that you have in your life? There's an answer to that question, and Pastor John has it from Scripture for us next time. 
I'm your host, Tony Ranke. We'll see you on Wednesday.